This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got David LaRock on the program. He is an independent mortgage broker and interest rate commentator based out of the big smoke. He's out of the big smoke. And uh, and yeah, David is a really interesting, really interesting guy. I feel like this, right. this exceeded my expectations in in how great of an episode, great conversation this was. Yeah. Um, and I do think like interest rate commentator doesn't really capture uh, David because he's, I feel like he's one of those guys that can speak on any, we kind of just threw stuff at him and he's got really interesting takes on everything. It was he's, a yeah. great conversation. He's Woodhouse-esque. Different opinions, but but you know how you know when we've had Dustin Widows on the program, also that's now exactly right out of Toronto. Uh, I, I believe Dustin's spending. Did, uh, did, I don't know if he's did like, he move to the T dot? Uh, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the six. Uh, he he lives. Dustin spends most of his time in six oh four, and then he goes to Toronto. Uh, I think I think periodically, but he's still kind of traveling back and forth. Um, I know because uh, I've, I've you give uh, a ride to the airport. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm his chauffeur. Uh, no, but I see him. I, I we still see him around around Vancouver. I know. Yeah, I think he's. I think he lives. Yeah, right, right around Thurlow, Alberni. Uh, that's where he. I think hangs his hat. Anyways, I don't know why we're grouping these two mortgage brokers well, I'll together. Tell, I'll but tell they're you both why. Smart. I'll tell you why. They're both very smart. They both have a lot of opinions and kind of 
broader opinions right. about the market. And they're both types of guys. Like the, Dustin Woodhouse famously, you know, you'd ask him one question. He'd be talking for 45 minutes uh, while he was parking his car and uh, doing all sorts of very complicated things in the background. And I feel like that's the type of guy David is too. You just ask him a question. He can run with it. Right. Never loses a thread. It's uh, he, was, he was made for these types of interviews. This is a great episode. So stay tuned to our, for our conversation with David. But before we get to that, Matt, um, I heard you witnessed what you're calling a hole in one. <laughs> this is a great debate. One I, of your I have, pairs of trousers. I, you didn't I, let me finish. Uh, no, you, you you watched a whole. I one. I was uh, I I went since the last time we've we've seen each other. Right, twelve hours ago. Yeah, I went golfing at Stanley Park, and I'm not sure. I was waiting, so because it, it was very sunny on Tuesday. Uh, in the evening, I went pitch and putt golfing, and is this a hole in one? A guy literally got up. He was standing three ahead of us. And, uh, was he a, was he a, a golfer? Was he yeah, a he was good? a go- he was in the a group ahead of us. No, but no, but was he like did could you tell he was a good golfer? Was he a <laughs> no, scratch did, golfer? I, no, didn't look that way. Didn't look that way to me. But I'm not even sure what that would look like. But <laughs> but the point is, we were saying, oh my god, like I haven't golfed in a while. You know, I got to tee off in front of this long lineup of people because it was a really nice evening. Um, and this guy gets up and hits a hole in one. Right. And you know, I think the first hole sixty five yards. So is that? Is a that hole a hole-in-one? In one? I don't know. I was like, oh, my God, this is the first hole-in-one I've ever seen. And then your comment was, haven't you been mini-golfing? Well, do you do you feel good when you get a hole-in-one at mini-golf? I guess you feel pretty good. But I mean, I, that's a that's a tougher shot, obviously. Yeah, it was a, no, it was an amazing shot. But yeah, anyway. Uh, that's almost so like I, I would imagine a lot of people in pitch and putt get holes-in-one all the time. Apparently, there's a lady on the back nine who has since passed but was a regular there who's got like 25 holes-in-one <laughs> right. on that one hole. So it's not that... Rare to see a hole in the one at pitch. I guess and not. I went to bed last night thinking I saw something momentous, but uh, I guess I guess not. Well, here's the thing: it, this week in Vancouver, the weather is out of control. It's it's like the nicest weather ever. I didn't think we were going to get any more of this. I was feeling we're like basically. The I think this is the last couple of days, and then it's we're into the deep rain. We've said that though other weeks. I feel like this is an oddity this week. It's uh, especially after last week where the rain was just continuous for for three or four days. Now we're in this hot spot. It feels like we're in the middle of summer, and also the market feels like it. The market's been very busy, That's but right. I do feel like this week people are taking advantage of the weather. That's right. Well, the last two weeks, I feel like it's kind of, it was, September kind of was off to a, a bang, right? Like yeah. I was, felt like I was back in sprint mode there. And uh, the last, then the rain hit and it seemed like listings slowed down. Like there was, an, it seemed like there was nothing new really that hit right. the market that was all that interesting, um, except for a few at scleanerrealestate.com. <laughs> but, uh, but then, um, you know, and then this week as well, yeah, I feel like people are taking advantage of pitch and putt. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, when we get back to more regular weather next week. Yeah. And Matt, before we get to our conversation with David, we should shout out our sponsor, Oakland Realty. That's right. Oakland Realty now in the top two. 200, I think in the Globe Mail, top 200 growing businesses in Canada. They were wow. ranked number 180, which is incredible for uh, a brokerage that, what, started five years ago, I think moved from Opus to Oakland. Speaks volumes about the culture they have created over there. If you're interested in learning more about Oakland, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. This is, of course, for aspiring agents, new agents, 
agents looking to make a change. Yeah. It's, get, it's the best place to you, be. You'll get to hear a lot more about what Oakland has to offer. And you also get, with that VRP 2020, a huge incentive. Yeah, and I don't want to say that it's our sponsorship that has been driving the growth of this company. <laughs> but I will say that... They, they it, weren't in the top 200 they, before 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 we started mentioning them. There's almost week. a direct timing correlation here that <laughs> I just have to highlight. It is suspicious. Yeah. And so anyways, so yeah, shout out to Oakland Realty. Also, Matt, before we get to this episode, we have the Sellers Club, the most exclusive club in Vancouver. That's right. So many people have been taking advantage of the Sellers Club. This is our new club, the most exclusive club in the city. Adam, tell listeners what they get when they join the Sellers Club. Yeah, if you want to sign up for the Sellers Club, it's really easy. Just send an email to info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Put in the subject line Sellers Club, and you're going to get the best resources for selling your home for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. These are actionable plans, checklists on how to market your property and get your property ready for market. That's right. No obligation, but I will say the guys who wrote this know a thing or two about selling homes. Exactly, Matt. But this is a phenomenal episode. I can't wait for everybody to hear this because uh, it's a it's a juicy one, I would say. I This is a very a very interesting take on Evan Sedell and the CMHC. Uh, and I, if I was David, I might expect a response at three in the morning from Evan on this one on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe. Or it might be us getting the response. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Which I, I'm already apologizing. Yeah. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Without further do David LaRock. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with David LaRock, independent mortgage broker and interest rate commentator based out of Toronto. How are you doing, David? Excellent, thanks. How are you guys? Very very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time uh, this morning, David. My pleasure. So, David, uh, maybe can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, I've worked in the mortgage business now for about 20 years. Ten of that time, well, almost ten of that time I spent in lending. Um, I started out at one of the major banks, and then I moved to one of the, well, at the time, um, the largest monoline lender in Canada. And then I worked for a smaller niche lender. And I became a mortgage broker a little over ten years ago. Um, I... um, I hung out my shingle uh, and thought I'd give it a try, and I guess this is what I'm going to be when I grow up because uh, it's been a while now, and I'm still doing it and loving it. So, right on. Well, you know what we we uh, first uh, recently came across an article you wrote um, why CMHC President Evan Sedell went rogue, and maybe as a, as a little bit of background and context, um, I guess for yourself and for our listeners, we've we've talked about. Uh, Evan Siddell's comments on the market uh, quite a bit on this show. We've had uh, a CMHC analysts on the show talk about the Vancouver market specifically and their their predictions um, for this fall and and next year. But but maybe to start, uh, David, can we talk a little bit about CMHC, its mandate, and and its historical role uh, in the housing market here in Canada? Sure. Um- Well, uh, basically, CMHC insures mortgages against default. Um, There's actually two private insurers that also um, are active in the market, Genworth and Canada Guarantee. Um, Genworth is the largest of the two, uh, but basically they all provide the same 
uh, default insurance and Genworth and Canada Guarantee are also backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. And the cost to borrowers um, is the same as it is as it is to lenders. Um, but CMHC is the dominant player. And basically, CMHC, I'm going to have to dust off my uh, my history books here, but my my <laughs> my my recollection is that CMHC was started after World War II, and basically. Um, they, they, the government wanted to increase housing affordability because um, it used to be that if you didn't have a 25% down payment, you couldn't buy a house. Um, and there were lots of people that had decent incomes and um, excellent credit who didn't meet that criteria. And what CMHC did is it said, okay, we will, um, if you're putting down, originally it was uh, less than 25%, now it's less than 20%. If you're putting down less than 20% of the purchase price of a property, your loan is riskier because you don't have a lot of equity built up. So if the housing market were to correct and you were to default, there's a chance the lender might have to sell the property for less than the mortgage was worth. Um, so we're going to create a program that default insures those mortgages and basically makes them bulletproof. So if you have a mortgage for a half a million bucks and the lender has to foreclose on your property and they sell the property for less than half a million bucks, uh, they get reimbursed against that loss by the default insurer. Uh, and again, CMHC is by far the biggest player in the market. Um, the, um, uh, so, so that was really their, their, their mandate was to uh, increase access to home ownership um, through this mortgage default insurance um, uh, program. And um, basically once borrowers um, pay for that default insurance, the borrowers pay and the default insurance protects the lender once the borrowers pay for that default insurance, they actually get the best rates available. Um, I, I wrote a blog post why why making a smaller down payment means you get a better mortgage rate, and basically explained that once you pay for that default insurance, you've made the loan bulletproof for the lender, and as a result, when they go to securitize that mortgage or if they keep that mortgage on their books, that loan is is basically um, uh, is basically as close to risk free as you can get. And as a result, the lender's cost of funds go down and so do the mortgage rates. So the best rate I have today available, a five year fixed rate at 1.69% is offered to people who are putting down less than 20%. Now here's the catch. The cost of that default insurance is not cheap. If you're putting down 10%, uh, on a purchase and you need a mortgage for a half a million bucks, that default insurance will cost you 20,000 bucks. You don't have to write a check. You can roll it into the mortgage. Um, but once that $20,000 cost is included in the borrower's cost of borrowing, um, their overall cost, um, even though they get the lowest rate, their overall cost is higher because with the fee included, um, uh, anybody who can put down 20% and pay a rate of, say, 1.85 or 1.9 is going to save money by avoiding that $20,000 fee. Right. So, so it sounds like, um, as far as I understand, and and in speaking to people on the podcast for the last uh, number of years, like it, it, CMHC does have a it, part of its mandate and and model is to assess risk in in the market, right? If they're backstopping all of these all of these loans, um, Evan Siddell's been president since 2014. Since you've been watching, like how has 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 CMHC's approach changed, or or how have they approached the lending market since since that time, since over the last six years or so? Well, um, when Evan Sadal came along in 2014, CMHC was uh, pulling in its horns. Basically, we we were still 
um, we were still responding to um, uh, basically to the U.S. housing crisis of 2008, which which didn't come to Canada. But let's not congratulate ourselves. We were headed down the same road, but like the younger brother, I'm a younger brother, by the way, so that's why I say this. Um, uh, the, like the younger brother, we, we watched the older brother make the mistake and tried to learn from it before driving ourselves off the same cliff. Um, so when Evan Sedal came along 2014, in 2014, CMHC was pulling in its horns. For most of its time in existence, CMHC has been trying to increase access to lending for borrowers. And that has, if you looked at it over a long-term chart, that has historically meant expanding access. So increasing amortization levels, um, uh, finding ways to um, allow more borrowers to qualify and increasing their access to, to credit and lowering the cost of that credit. But after the housing crisis um, in 2008 and the Great Recession, CMHC, uh, well, the Ministry of Finance and and through them, uh, CMHC, because CMHC is a crown corporation, started to rein in their, their, their lending. There have been seven rounds of mortgage world changes since then. And in, the, in, in 2014, we were sort of three rounds in, and um, Siddal's mandate was still to promote um, – uh, housing affordability, but also to try to prevent uh, what happened in the U.S. from happening in Canada, uh, and to ensure that by creating uh, more access to credit and cheaper access to credit, that um, CMHC wasn't fueling housing bubbles and causing um, uh, creating conditions that would create uh, financial instability for the overall economy. So that was kind of where he arrived. Now. Um, I, I think if you know Evan Sedal well enough, you, you have to separate him from CMHC because he is, you know, my 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 title about him going rogue um, uh, was uh, was carefully chosen simply because this isn't the first time he has for a long time been willing to uh, uh, say things that are uh, opinionated and controversial. And to be clear, I'm opinionated and controversial, and I love when people are like that. It makes things spicy, and and I like to know what people think. And he's a smart guy. Um, but for a long time now, there, there have been statements and things that he've said that don't sound like the kind of thing that you would typically hear from a senior bureaucrat um, uh, with the mandate that he has. And that, that sort of, uh, for me, it, it culminated in this post that I wrote. I felt, quite frankly, with all due respect to Evan, I felt like he was too far out in front of his ski tips here. Like he, he needed to remember his mandate <laughs> and his post and that it was actually disloyal of him, I think, to 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 basically what he said is, I think we should be doing more. I'm very concerned about risk levels. I'm going to make some very bold predictions about house price crashes. And if the Ministry of Finance isn't going to listen to what I have to say and follow my recommendations, and to be clear, they didn't follow his recommendations, I'm going to go on my own and do what I can within CMHC um, to make it very clear that I don't agree with the overall direction our government is heading. And, you know, if you're if you're a rower on a boat and there's eight people that are supposed to be rowing the boat in the same direction, and after the uh, the COVID crisis hits, seven of the eight rowers are paddling like crazy, trying to keep, uh, keep the economy going and doing everything they can to um, stimulate the economy to offset the negative impacts of COVID, which the Bank of Canada called the biggest economic shock since the, um, the Great Depression, not the, not the Great Recession, the Great Depression. Um, Adam Sadal was sort of that one rower going, wait a second, I'm going to, I'm going to go in the opposite direction here. I'm going to propose tightening credit when everybody else is doing everything they can to open the taps. And if you, if you, if you picture an image of eight people on a rowing boat in the middle of the lake trying to fly along and one guy's paddling in the opposite direction, you can imagine the chaos. 
Right, right. So it sounds like you see this as uh, as he's he's kind of over the last six years or so um, been tightening things up. But why now? Like why this year? Do you see uh, such a such a dramatic change kind of going against the grain? Well, the cynic in me would say he's leaving in December. His post is up, and I guess if you're if you're heading out of town, you don't have to worry about burning the place down on your way out. Maybe that's too strong. Maybe I shouldn't say burning <laughs> the place down, but but um, uh, you know he 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 doesn't have to worry about staying on anyone's Christmas card list after um, uh, after this year uh, or anyone's holiday card list um, uh, because he's he's leaving town. So uh, I think in his mind. He doesn't have to be as diplomatic, and also, um, you know, he's 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 still a relatively young guy, and he's had a high-profile job. So, who knows if he'll be popping up on the campaign trail at some point, or or where he'll head to next. But I think in his mind, um, he wants to be on the right side of history. And if things did blow up later, and he could point to it and say, "Well, I did everything I could, and people just wouldn't listen," uh, there's a bit of self-serving um, uh, motive here. I think, guys. Uh, bluntly put, he's a big boy. He's not afraid to throw the odd punch himself. So I think he can probably take a punch, and and I think he's deserving of that criticism. Right. Yeah. That that uh, it, it does feel it does feel like a a, a strange moment um, for for sure with with the way he's he's approaching his role this year. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, about what he's said this year? I mean, I, we all know that he's that the prediction came out for Canadian housing nine to eighteen percent declines, um, and when that seemed to get a lot of media traction, but but uh, not at the governmental levels uh, where was the action taken. He wrote uh, a letter to to lenders in Canada um, trying to get them on board with, with his vision. Can you talk a little bit about what that letter said, what his goals were, and, and the response? Sure. So, so number one, um, again, just very briefly, back to the start of COVID, um, the Bank of Canada, who up until that point had been very conservative, slashed its policy rate by one and a half percent during the month of March. And this is after years and years of, of no rate cuts. Um, uh, they are now buying $5 billion a week worth of bonds, most of them um, government bonds. And they're doing that to keep rates, fixed rates low because the variable mortgage, well, they're not doing it just for mortgage rates, but they, they want to keep mortgage rates low, both fixed and variable mortgage rates. And they only control variable mortgage rates directly. The fixed rates are are priced off of um, a government of Canada bond yield. So by buying up all these government of Canada bonds, they, they're, 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 they're basically putting their fingers on the scales and keeping rates low. The federal government has engaged in, in, in unprecedented levels of stimulus. And, and it's not, this stimulus is going directly into the pockets of Canadians. And there's no sign of that letting up. Um, and behind the scenes, there's a lot of funding mechanisms and liquidity provisions and things. And basically, if you were to look at it, it's basically, I did one post where I basically had a um, a picture of a fireman and, and 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 monetary policy and stimulus were coming blasting out of the firehouse and basically shooting in every direction and that you know to give you an image that's effectively what all of the other policymakers were doing uh, in response to COVID and rightly so at least initially we we will as time goes by we will increasingly debate whether or not uh, the government and our policymakers should do less or more because it will have longer-term impacts. But I think over the very short term, almost everybody agreed that we needed to do everything we could. And at that point, um, Sadal's first um, uh, sort of public comment 
was to recommend uh, to the Ministry of Finance that um, we should uh, increase minimum down payments from 5% to 10%. Now, at the time, I thought that was as strange as strange could be because that is clearly a credit tightening in the midst of all this other credit loosening and, and stimulus provision. And basically, that uh, doing that, to me, if you're supposed to increase housing affordability, the people right at the edge of the housing market are people who have uh, the smallest down payments. And quite frankly, they're trying to get into, in a lot of cases for Toronto and Vancouver, they're trying to get into small condos. And when you look at who was most impacted by COVID, rental property investors who own multiple properties um, had tenants who couldn't pay. Um, and they were deferring mortgage payments temporarily, and there were rent relief programs that were that were of te- temporary nature. So in all likelihood, the first selling pressure in both of our markets would have come from rental property investors. And, and, and quite frankly, in Toronto, I don't know, I don't follow Vancouver real estate as closely, but we have uh, rents are falling, um, vacancy rates are rising, and, uh, and condo prices are softening exactly as many of us predicted would be the case. So to cut back access to credit for borrowers who were waiting to buy those types of properties at that exact moment seemed to be to be the worst possible idea he could have come up with. And the Ministry of Finance clearly agreed because they took his recommendation, thanked him for it, and then carried on. So he goes back to his um, uh, he goes back to his office, and I guess um, uh, feeling somewhat chastened, he decided, well, if they're not going to listen to me, and quite frankly, if I'm leaving anyway, and I don't need to keep any friends in Ottawa, um, I want to be very public about my concerns. So I'm going to make this really bold prediction out to all the media that house prices are going to crash by nine to eighteen percent. And boy, has he ever been wrong so far on that one. He may be right in the end that prices could soften. I don't want to suggest that there wasn't validity to his concerns, but. Uh, he did it very publicly, and uh, he's been spectacularly wrong so far. Um, then, then he he said, "Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm head of CMHC, so if they won't, if the ministry won't follow my recommendation on the overall policy change and force everybody to make it, I'm going to make these tweaks um, within my own um, within my own shop." And the tweaks were very minor. He increased. Um, the minimum required credit score. He said that down payments couldn't be borrowed, and and um, uh, and, and he made a, a couple other minor tweaks. And quite frankly, lenders have their own policies. Uh, they don't just follow what the insurer does. And many of the lenders were already uh, adopting the policies that 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 he touted as being his big changes. Um, so the the market impact was, was very minimal. Um, and because Canada Guarantee and Genworth didn't follow his changes. There was no real impact on the market because if CMHC wouldn't do the deal anymore, there were two other insurers that would. Um, again, time went on and the market carried on. And then I guess Evan wasn't getting the attention that uh, he had hoped <laughs> from his changes. Um, so he published this private letter that he sent out to a hundred lenders. Now, if you're going to write a private letter, um, uh, I don't know that sending it out to a hundred different companies is, uh, is a way to keep it private. And I'm, and uh, if, you know, again, if I'm looking at this with a cynical eye, I, I, I laughed out loud when he expressed um, uh, consternation at the fact that, uh, uh, that his letter had been made public. Um, I think, I think only, uh, I think you'd have to be really new to the game to expect that when Evan said that, that letter, that he didn't fully, uh, you know, he wasn't counting the minutes before it would appeal in the media. 
And, and, you know, it had the dark underbelly quote that, you know, there's a dark underbelly to the lending business. And it was all designed. It was a grandstanding, basically. And, 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 um, and I think he should just own that if he's, you know, he's a very direct, plain spoken guy. So he should just, I think he should be admitting that he wanted more public profile, um, uh, put on, uh, uh, on, on his views. Um, you know, you got to own it. Uh, especially when you're when you're when you're, when you're that obvious about what you're doing. Um, anyway, he, he in his letter he basically said to the lenders, um, "I couldn't convince the Ministry of Finance. Uh, I, I I I I wasn't able to convince the other default insurers. So now I'm appealing to you, lenders, to do what's right for my follow my view of what's right for our overall economy." act against your, your best interests and adopt the changes that I had proposed uh, voluntarily, uh, all hundred of you, because this is the right things for Canadians to do. Oh, and by the way, um, just because um, uh, the, your, your, my competitors um, didn't uh, follow my lead um, and, and, and decided to agree with the Ministry of Finance that these changes weren't appropriate at the current time. Uh, we're losing market share to them now. We don't like that either. So please continue to support us and, and give us your business, even though we're cutting back on what we're offering the market and, and restricting our, our offerings. Um, again, it was just grandstanding. I mean, lenders aren't going to voluntarily... Um, uh, cut back on lending policies because Evan thinks it's appropriate. And, um, he got what he wanted. I think the media reported it. Um, it, there was a lot of debate. Um, everybody laughed about the idea that he kept insisting it was a private letter that wasn't supposed to be shared. <laughs> and, um, and the lenders went on about their business. So, you know, at, at that point, um, I guess I, I have to say I, I was, I was, I was frustrated because I felt like, People were talking about the changes, but they weren't questioning the motive. And I think at some point, um, he's he's been consistent enough with his approach. The fact that he's leaving in December, I think, can't be overlooked. And and I thought maybe a um, a different look uh, from a different perspective to say why would he be doing this? Um, and and sort of lining up the timeline. And, and instead of just focusing on the letter saying, okay, he went to the Ministry of Finance, they said no. He tried to compel his private insurer uh, uh, competitors, they said no. Then he went to lenders, knowing full well they said no, and guess what, the letter got released to the Like, it's, it's all a public relations campaign he's running, really. And to me, at the, at the nut of all of it, is what he's really saying is, I think we should be doing more and we're not. And if it all blows up, I want it well-recorded uh, that I that I tried to do more and people wouldn't listen to me. And if that scores him some personal points later on, um, there's a cost that we should appreciate. Number one, he's undermining confidence in our real estate markets and our financial system, and he's doing it as a senior bureaucrat at the head of a, of a crown corporation. Um, and uh, he's doing it at a time when, when, when our economy and our real estate markets are vulnerable. So to me, there is a, there is a cost to, um, to what he's doing. Um, and insofar as it is, I think ultimately for some, for, for personal gain. And I, and I, and I think I made that clear as politely as I could, you know, he's not, he's, uh, he's, he's, there, there is that cost. And I thought that needed to be recognized as well. And, and that's why I read the post. I don't make it my business to kind of call people out. Um, but when you do it that publicly, um, and, and that consistently, and when it seems so nakedly self-serving, um, uh, from, from, from my perspective, I, I thought it warranted a post. You know, and, and I, I think it's such an interesting take, 
because I feel like Evan Sedell is is the type of guy who who talks a lot about uh, real estate professionals and their self interest uh, when yeah. it comes to to talking about the market. And this take that that he's kind of nakedly self serving here is, I think, a really interesting one. I mean, in your post, and he's he's so in Vancouver made a bit of a splash. Um, you know, a local realtor tweeted something about, you know, the benefits of leverage and, and Evan Sedell attacked him on Twitter, uh, at three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Questionable uh, what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what was happening at three in the morning, but it seemed like such a petty, strange thing, uh, and kind of in a wildly inappropriate thing to be doing as the head of the CMHC. Um, you say in your post that, Sidel uh, says in in relation to mortgage brokers' views on on lending, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. Um, yeah, like why why do you think uh, he seems to be so um, adamant on on targeting uh, real estate professionals or or professionals in the mortgage uh, the mortgage industry? Well. Um... I think from his perspective, if you look at the worst of the mortgage brokers and the worst of the real estate agents, they deserve all kinds of criticism. And, 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 and much of what he says is, is, is valid in my view. There's a lot of things that I read that piss me off that other mortgage brokers and real estate people write because the bottom line is we are commissioned salespeople and we do make money when we sell houses or do mortgages. So there is a natural profit motive that, um, uh, that, that, creates a, a bias in all of us. Mm-hmm. And the honest ones among us realize that if you want to be successful in any business long-term, nothing sells like honesty. Um, and and you don't have to be betraying your profit motive to tell people there is risk when elevated debt levels get this high. There is risk if interest rates stay low for, um, uh, for a very long period. Um, uh, of course, there's risk in the system. And any responsible person who cares about the advice they're giving to people has to acknowledge those risks. But when Evan Sadal paints this all with the same brush and basically says, nobody who works in that industry has a right to offer their opinion because they are blind by their profit motive. He's saying, number one, that you can't make a profit and look after clients' best interests. I think that's a naive statement. Um, I think anybody who's been in this business for a long time and been successful at it will tell you that they didn't get to where they got to by looking out for their self-interest so by saying, uh, repeating the mantra of buy now or be priced out forever with, with, you know, with no further acknowledgement of risks. Um, uh, you know, people, I have told people when they've sat in my, in my office, um, back when people did sit in offices and meet face to face, I've told them now's not, I don't, I don't think looking at your budget and how much you've got right now and what your future plans are over the next three or four years, I don't think, uh, maybe now is the best time for you to buy. And I've had no trouble saying that. And those people have come back to me years later and, and they have bought, and they're trusted, loyal clients. Um, so I was insulted that he painted us all with the same brush. Uh, if you look at my blog, you'll see I've supported all seven rounds of the mortgage rule changes. Um, I've acknowledged uh, lots of risk in the market, and um, uh, and uh, and people value that, and that's the reason why people go to my blog, and that's the reason why people listen to your podcast. Um, so so it really was just a flat out insult for him to, uh, to say that to all of us, uh, uh, again, our industries deserve some criticism and the worst among us, um, uh, will, will not get any defense from me. Um, but there are lots of us who, who do an honest trade and give honest advice and, and are responsible, uh, when asked about risks. Um, 
if, if Evan Siddell was a commentator for one of the newspapers, then I don't care what he says at three o'clock in the morning to somebody. But again, <laughs> as you said, when, when you're a senior bureaucrat and the head of a crown corporation uh, charged with um, uh, with promoting housing affordability in Canada, it's it, that is not the role for you to be saying what you have to say. You've got to bite your tongue. And to me, you know, it's a good thing he's out in December. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll, I, I imagine the person who takes his place, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the Ministry of Finance really thought of Sadal, because I'm going to bet the next person in the job is as boring a bureaucrat as you can imagine. And I think they probably said to themselves, we've had quite enough of the curveballs uh, being thrown at us uh, through the media by the last guy in this job. So make sure that the next person um, is as boring as watching paint dry so that we don't have to be answering questions from the media about the head of CMHC for a while. I think you're probably right. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, so David, um, while we got you, we are, we're definitely seeing some historical lows right now with interest rates. How is the lending environment right now? And, and uh, what are your thoughts? And uh, we'd love to get your take both on uh, – some some predictions for the balance of 2020 2021 for interest rates but maybe also for the market we're we're keen to find out what's going on in Toronto right now sure um well um uh, it is nuts right now um because everybody with a mortgage wants to refinance to a lower rate albeit at high you know the penalties are high and in in, in some cases especially if people have fixed rate mortgages with major banks the numbers don't add up because the penalties are are, are work out to be more than the interest rate saving but there's lots of lots of action uh from existing borrowers looking to refinance um and we didn't have any spring market really in toronto thanks to covid and 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 we're having a spring market in the fall this year and so we're very busy with purchases and we've got you know we've got bidding wars and multiple offers and it it basically feels like the busiest spring market uh we've seen and by the way um you know I'll, I'll comment on this i i feel like the media sometimes the mainstream media needs to do a bit more homework they're talking about you know we just had a record august for sales well august is usually a dead month because we've come through the spring market all the deals closed in june and july and everybody goes on vacation in august before school starts right. the reason we've had such an incredible uh, August is because we didn't have a spring market and now we're getting May volume funding in August. Well, if you want to compare the sleepy August volumes that we've had for the last 20 years to the COVID delayed spring market crazy splurge August that we're having now and suggest that, you know, draw all kinds of implications uh, without acknowledging that this is a delayed spring market result, not the sign of a market that's about to explode, uh, then I just shake my head. I just think, you know, um, uh, I, I don't hear Sadal commenting on that. Um, but, 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 but to me, anybody who's been watching, um, should be talking about that more than they are. Um, so, so as far as interest rates go, um, we're at, we're at record lows now, pretty much every rate I'm, I've got on my books right now is, uh, on deals approved, uh, but not yet funded. Pretty much all of them are starting with a, with a one, um, I don't think rates are going anywhere for for a long time. Um, the Bank Canada Governor uh, Tiff Macklem came out recently and said we're going to be unusually clear uh, because of the unusual times that we live in that rates are going to stay low for a long time, and we want borrowers to be confident uh, that that will be the case. So I wrote a post recently and I said, well, how long is a long time? Because clearly the Bank of Canada has said its policy rate is is going to stay nailed down at 0.25 percent for 
for a long time, and they're buying at least $5 billion a week, which, by the way, guys, is staggering. We didn't engage in any quantitative easing during the Great Recession when the U.S. and, and, and the Bank of Japan and, 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 uh, and the Eurozone were printing money like crazy. We, we didn't do any of it. But we're making up for lost time. Our our money printing right now is is uh, would make even a profligate central banker blush, um, uh, and it, it's pretty incredible. Um, and, and that is driving rates down. And the Bank of Canada has a has a commitment to keep that in place for quote unquote a long time. So the question then becomes, how long is a long time? Um, I, I I took a shot at that um, uh, this past week and or two weeks ago, and and basically um, made the following argument. The Bank of Canada isn't going to move before the U.S. Federal Reserve, number one. Uh, we sell 80% of what we export um, abroad into U.S. markets. Uh, if the Bank of Canada were to start raising its policy rate ahead of the U.S. Federal Reserve, the loonie would appreciate against the greenback. That would hammer our exporters. The last time we did that, in 2008, um, the Bank of Canada did start raising before the Fed. The loonie soared against the greenback. It devastated our export sector, and there are large swaths that were devastated then that have never come back. Um, so the Bank of Canada, you know, as much as we are proud Canadians and want to be patriotic and don't like the idea that we have to follow the U.S.'s lead when it comes to monetary policy, the Bank of Canada really does have to have to wait uh, for the Fed. Um, the Fed came out two weeks ago and said. Um, uh, same thing, uh, very cautious. We're not doing anything with monetary policy until the economic recovery is well underway. Uh, and they offer what's called a dot plot chart. That's where all the members of the Fed's um, policy rate committee uh, put a dot on a chart of when they think rates are going to go up next. Now, that chart has been notoriously late. Whenever they've said on that chart rates are going up in a year or two years, it always takes four years or five years. The, the chart is 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 has been... Um, uh, very consistently slow compared, or sorry, um, uh, ahead of actual timing. And on that dot plot chart, they are uh, the average dot plot result of the guys in charge of setting U.S. monetary policy and determining when U.S. rates will rise was end of 2023. And again, that would be, if they hit that date, that would be the first time in my 10 years of following this stuff really closely that they'd ever hit it. That, If you were a betting man and you look back historically, you'd say it'd be at least a year or two after that. So if the Fed isn't raising its policy rate until the end of 2023, I think you can safely bet the bank Canada in the same boat. And I think that would be the earliest we would see it. Um, now, it's possible that before the U.S. Fed and the Bank of Canada raise their policy rate, they could slow down the rate at which they're buying bonds in the market. And if that caused bond yields to go up, we could see fixed rates rise sooner than that. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't, I, my, my guess guys, and again, my opinion in two bucks will get you a hot cup of coffee. I want to make that clear, but I follow <laughs> this stuff very closely. And, uh, and, and I think we are minimum two years at current levels, if not continuing to inch down, I would bet that rates bottom under one and a half percent would be my guess. Fixed rates. Um, uh, again, a lot can change. There's a lot of factors that affect um, what's happening with rates, but um, I, I certainly don't see any upward pressure for a long time. It'll be a good thing when we see upward pressure because that means that things are recovering and we should all root for that to happen. I'd be happy if mortgage rates went up because the economy was recovering and we had a vaccine and all sorts of good things were starting sure. to happen. 
Um, and I'd love to be an optimist. I try to be in most parts of my life, but, um, uh, but I, I, I think we're, I think we're going to be here for a while. And, and as a final question, if you were, you're obviously advising people, uh, variable or fixed right now, it sounds like, uh, there's still some room, some, some room in, in rates going down by the sounds of things. Would you be going variable right now? You know, I, I write about this quite regularly, and when COVID started, rates spiked. They actually got up into the high 2% range. Right, yeah, we talked about that. Imagine, but that was only three or four months ago. And if you go back and read my blog back then, what I was saying is I would go variable. I was saying stay away from fixed because if you go variable, um, you're going to have the option of converting to fixed at any time with no penalty. You can't convert from fixed to variable, but you can convert from variable to fixed. So I basically was saying flexibility is absolutely key because I did think that the COVID risk premiums that we saw getting pumped into fixed and variable mortgage rates would come off. And as that happened, if you were in a variable and you wanted to convert to a fixed, you could convert to a fixed rate that would be much lower um, in future. Now we're only four or five months later and folks that uh, started out with variable rates that 2.75 are converting to fixed rates below two. Um, and, and we're obviously very happy they followed that advice. I didn't know on the timing of when it would happen. It happened sooner than I thought it would, but the COVID risk premium is almost gone. I'd say it's still somewhat there, but, um, but I, I, it, it's still sort of leaking off. There's an old expression. Lenders take the, uh, elevator on the way up when they're raising rates and they take the stairs on the way down. So we're getting a lot of these gradual little cuts as we go along, um, but anyway, the other thing I like about a variable is um, variable rate discounts. At one point, you could only get a, a rate of prime. Now you can get down around prime minus 60, prime minus 70. So even if you like variable, the cost to break a variable rate mortgage is only three months interest. And um, when we do the math, if you have a variable rate mortgage today at prime and you pay three months interest to break it and can get prime minus 60, you're actually going to save money and be way better off even if you eat that penalty. So the variable rate is better than fixed in two ways, especially, by the way, if you've got a fixed rate mortgage with a major bank because their penalties are five or six times higher than the other lenders charge for their fixed rate mortgages. If you go with a variable, you're probably getting a, a rate that's a little bit lower than fixed today. You've got as close to a guarantee as you're ever going to get to the Bank of Canada that we're years away from any increases. You've got the free option to convert to fixed at any time, and fixed rates are continuing to fall um, and the penalty to break is only over three months' interest, so it's really cheap to get out of, even if you want to stay in variable, if those variable rate discounts continue to widen. On the fixed rate side, um, the, gov- the, the five-year fixed rate, which is what most Canadians who go with fixed rates are taking today, is based off of the Government of Canada five-year bond yield, which today is at a record low of about 0.35. People say, well, how much lower can that go because it's at a record low? But when you look at seven out of the 10 G10 countries, they're all in negative territory for their bond yields. Um, so if the, if the government can't have your bond yield at 0.35, is actually pretty high compared to seven of the other 10 G10 countries. And even if the COVID risk premium that was pushing fixed rates up is mostly gone now, if that five-year bond yield continues to leak down, that's where I see additional room for fixed rates to continue falling. So... In the current environment, if you go variable, I think with a variable rate mortgage, you always have to warn borrowers there's a risk that it could rise because there is. And even today, there is. We get a vaccine tomorrow, all bets are off. But the probability of the variable rate rising is as low today as I can remember in my 20 years in the business. The variable rate gives you a ton more flexibility, and fixed rates are continuing to slowly fall. So for all those reasons, I think variable um, is a good option. But that said, I always say this, guys. 
if there's two types of borrowers. There's the type that worry, they lose sleep at night worrying that rates might go up, and they're the type that lose sleep at night worrying they're paying too much interest. For the borrowers who are worried that, that rates might go up, taking a five-year fixed rate below 2% and locking in for five years and never having to worry about it and getting a dirt cheap rate is, is not a bad option. We're talking about historical lows across the board. So I, I wouldn't try to talk anyone out of a five-year fixed if that was the way they were leaning and that was where their comfort level was. I've had people go variable and at the renewal date five years later, they say, Dave, I know I saved money, but it drove me crazy and I wish I'd gone fixed for peace of mind. I mean, there is, for some people, um, if that premium you pay for the fixed rate is like rate insurance. And rate insurance uh, for certain types of borrowers is well worth paying for, and it's dirt cheap right now. Um, and even if it ends up that the variable rate proves cheaper, you won't look back and say, geez, I wish I hadn't have taken that higher fixed rate and paid for that rate insurance. First of all, the spread is minimal. We're talking 10, 15 basis points, so you're not paying much of a spread. And if you end up taking insurance that you didn't end up needing, it doesn't mean it wasn't still the right call. As my dad uh, once said, it's not like you buy fire insurance on your house and then stand there wishing your house would burn down because you spent all that money on fire insurance. <laughs> Sounds like we have the same dad. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, David, maybe we'll leave it there, but uh, really, really fascinating conversation. And how can people find out more about what you're doing? Well, if they go to my website at um, moreplan.ca, that's M-O-R-P-L-A-N.ca, or they Google me, David LaRock, last name L-A-R-O-C-K, just like it sounds, uh, they can check out my blog. I do a weekly Monday morning interest rate update with a running commentary on everything happening around the world that's affecting Canadian mortgage rates. And there's also a whole ton of blog posts on uh, terms and conditions and mortgage contracts to watch out for. There's a section for first-time home buyers. Um, I have a, um, a calculator that helps people figure out closing costs. There's all kinds of tools, and my contact details are there. So if anyone's in the market for a mortgage and they're, they're looking for some advice, I'm always happy to uh, chat with new folks and offer my two cents. Excellent. So we'll, we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. And uh, we'd love to check back with you, David, about, uh, about rates and what's going on in the Toronto market. Well, great talking to you guys. I love it out there. Every time I go to Vancouver, I ask myself why I'm getting on a plane to come back home. You guys are, uh, you guys are in the promised land over there. So uh, uh, enjoy Vancouver and, uh, and, and thanks, uh, thanks for including me in your podcast. Excellent. Oh, it was our pleasure for sure. Thanks for your time. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with David LaRock, independent mortgage broker and interest rate commentator out of Toronto. Yeah, Matt, really enjoyed that conversation with David and uh, great having him on the podcast. I think he, I think he'll, he, hopefully he'll come back. I, I would yeah. love to talk to him again. I also, I really liked his analysis of where rates are, are heading and uh, basically what's going on in the Toronto market. Um, sounds like Toronto is busy. Vancouver is definitely busy. Uh, it's an interesting time. I mean, it's it's a warm week here, and uh, kids are now back to school. I think things are kind of the dust is probably settling of the scrambling to get kids back to school. That's right. And, yeah, we're heading into and, what uh, week three? Oh, September's over. Oh my god! Yeah, I oh know. God. <laughs> I'm kidding. No kidding. It's Where it's this year. Actually, I, I looked yesterday. We've got what three months left before the end of the year. Um, time is flying right now. I, I just it's feel crazy like, because uh, it seems like 2020 has been like the year that you want to get through. And in another way, it's like, wow, it's, it's it is the year getting you're getting through. through. Yeah. But the only downside about it is, uh, 
I don't know. I, I feel like actually I heard this on the on the radio this morning, and this may not age well, but I heard that our numbers are actually stabilizing, even though they That's are right. increasing. There's uh, signs that the that that transmission numbers are stabilizing. I think that's uh, that some people have suggested largely because of closed bars. Really? That's part of the reason. Yeah, three weeks ago, and it's and it's now you're seeing the impact of of uh, people doing less karaoke. Is Yale Town's ground zero? <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm headed there right after I, we I, right after we get off this outro. We just ate at a at a. We went out for a a nice. Uh, uh, what was it? It was a birthday dinner. My wife and I, uh, and and it was a very nice dinner. Uh, very safe. Everybody was distanced. There was only a few tables. Servers, masks, everything. Um, really phenomenal. Which McDonald's uh, was this at? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, t- two teen burgers. Uh, no, but here's the thing. We, 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 um, we did the drive-thru. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, here's the thing. The guy who was serving us, he said he, he like noted on like three hands outbreaks in different restaurants in Yale Town. And I, I do feel like there's a lot of like, it's just kind of constantly cycling. Through Yale Town. If you walk down, I feel like there, yeah, the, I walked down um, Hamilton the other day and I was thinking, oh yeah, there's been an outbreak there, been an outbreak there, been an outbreak there. I didn't go in. Yeah, I know. So anyway, so uh, be safe out there. Continue to wear your, to mask up and uh, yeah, enjoy these last few days of summer. Absolutely. And and last but not least, check out VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's right. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate. There's a couple things we should highlight over at our website. One is the Sellers Club. Yes. This is a club that everybody who's interested in potentially selling their property or even learning more about how to sell a property should be a part of. It's sunny, always. It's always sunny at the Sellers Club. Adam, once again, tell us what you get at the Sellers Club. Yeah, so we are sending out resources. It's basically a drip resources for sellers. Um, It's the first that, that I know of that's kind of this ongoing continuous volume one, volume two. We basically about, invented this. It's, it's action plans for sellers, how to get your home ready for market. It's uh, We're putting out checklists of th- items you need to take care of before you list your property. And also, um, Matt, this is for people that, of course, want to get top dollar in the shortest amount of time. And this is a definitely self-serving club because we can help you with that as well. So, hey, yeah, we're all... <laughs> and some may say that this club is self-interested, Matt, but really I think it's your best interest to listeners uh, that we have at heart. That's that's exactly it. This is years of experience selling real estate. Hand it over. Free Hand of it over free of charge, uh, crystallized in the Sellers Club. So you definitely want to be a part of that. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor level information for free. It's on our website. It is the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. You can find it at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's absolutely right. You can also sign up for the live wire there, deal of the month. It's just tons of stats, tons of useful information going out every week. There's no reason you don't want to be on that list. Last but not least, if you want to talk about anything real estate related or otherwise, hole-in-ones, if you have any ideas about that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that might open up a real debate in this city. Uh, <laughs> does, does, what, is, what is the actual question? Is that, it, is okay, it, is the, it miniature the, golf? No, no, no. This is pitch and putt. Does pitch and putt hole-in-ones count as a, as a true hole-in-one? I think the, Do you get a plaque? Yeah, this is it, it's still out. 
The answer is uh, unclear. I don't know to me. if this is much of a debate, but I'm, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll let the listeners decide. <laughs> give me a call if you want to talk about it, so, or or maybe don't. But seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that secret line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. He's he's a guy who want to talk about the holes. In yeah, it. I know. I have a feeling we're opening up a whole can of worms here. He's he's probably really opinionated on <laughs> this it. Is, this is. I feel like that's something that he'd lie up. Uh, yeah, this is a night. rabbit hole type thing for yeah, him. I think. Yeah, he's going to be on the on the Google. They say. <laughs> have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>